dollars and cents, as in S-E-N-S-E, not cents, as in pennies, nickels, and dimes, and quarters, and all that. Cents. Cents uh, in the world of finance is, is almost a misnomer. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's hard to find a lot of cents in a lot of things that are said about finances these days, especially if you listen to the news. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. I, the way this little series came about, let me just be real casual for a few minutes here as a few more people are wandering in. Um, the way this little series came about was rather interesting. Uh, after 35 plus years of, of ministry, uh, I've discovered that the Lord sometimes brings you things in different ways. And uh, I was talking with one of the pastors one day and uh, we were just uh, sharing different things and I was telling him about this concept for this series that uh, the Lord had put on my heart and I had a title and, uh, and, and the, some of the main skeleton points and that's, that's basically what I had at the time and, and he was saying, you know, that sounds interesting I, I want to know more about that when you get that filled out and the usual pattern is, is it'll take me, uh, you know, a few days maybe a few, a week or two, you know, something like that and then I've kind of feel like I've got what God is giving me on the subject or on that particular teaching. And it didn't work that way on this one. As the Lord began to deal with me about this, it it drug on and it drug on and it drug on and it became months uh, from the time I was first, uh, we were just shooting the breeze, talking with one of the pastors and then then the, the actual giving of this word. It was months that went by. And the Lord has really, really just dug into my inner man and led me into places in the Word that, that I hadn't traveled down some of those paths in a while, and I needed to. And I really, really, really believe with all my heart that this is a timely Word for God's people these days. Now, it, just in case you weren't with us last week, I'll recap just very slightly. Uh, the, these are being recorded and uh, I don't have the details of where they'll be available. I'm not sure yet. I'll try to find out. Next session will be the final session. It'll be installment number three. And I'll try to have information by then as to how to get a recording of these if you want to uh, use it for your own good, or your own benefit, or share it with someone else or whatever. The last session, we, we introduced the series of, of dollars and cents. And we talked about a lot of things that are foundational to what we're going to do tonight and the next session as well. And we talked uh, last week primarily about the idea that, uh, that we arrive in this world with nothing in our hand and we leave in this world with nothing in our hand. And with that in mind, that should change our attitude about our finances, about the money that is entrusted into our care. Because, uh, first of all, none of it belongs to me. None of it belongs to you. It belongs to God. He entrusted into our hands. And we have it for a short period of time. Whatever amount we have, whether it's a little or a lot, that's not the point. That really doesn't matter. What does matter is that we recognize who it all belongs to and that we are faithful in being obedient to him in what we do with what he does entrust us with. Now, this is not a, you know, we human beings are really bad about wanting to compare to other people and say, well, it's not fair. That person got this and I got this, you know, and 
And, uh, you know, it's just, we're real bad about that. Just, uh, I, I have a really spiritual piece of advice for you for that. Are you ready for it? Get over it. <laughs> just get over it. God knows what he's doing. I can't answer the question as to why uh, I have, a, uh, for instance, I have uh, some really good acquaintances, good Christian godly men that, that the God is blessed with a lot more finances than I, than I have been blessed with. But you know what? That used to irritate me. It used to bother me. It used to puzzle me. I thought, God, I pay my tithes. I'm faithful. I do everything, you know. I, I'm, I think I'm doing the right thing. And why is it like that? Any, you know what? Anymore, I don't care. I don't care. All I care about is being faithful to God with what he has put in my hands. And I want him to be pleased when I get through and I go and, and, and uh, stand before him. I want him to be pleased with what I've done. And, and I just want to be a blessing while I'm here. So we talked about that last week. It, it reminds me, I, and I, I didn't tell this story last week, but it's a little funny that I heard one time about a guy, and this is a typical human nature story here. I don't know that this is really true, but it was funny enough to tell, about a guy who uh, was just one of those miserly, stingy type people, you know. If he got his hands on something, he wasn't going to let it go for any reason at all. You know, he just going to hang on to it. And uh, when he died, he didn't have any heirs to leave his fortunes to. I, I see people standing looking in. Come right on in. You're welcome. So uh, when he passed away, he didn't have anyone to leave his, his fortunes to. And he had quite a collection of valuable, super valuable gold coins and things like that. And uh, he had put in, he'd put in his will that he wanted all of those things. And they were worth Somebody had appraised them. They knew how much they were worth, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. He wanted them all put in the casket with him and buried with him. I mean, he was just that stingy. So during the visitation, just before they closed the casket to finish the funeral, a guy that knew him and knew how much those coins were worth walked up to the casket and uh, reached in and started pulling them out, putting them in a bag. And somebody said, what are you doing? He said, it's no problem. I, I've got a check. I just, he just wrote a check for the full amount and put it in the casket. He said, I, I just, I'll just write him a check for it. <laughs> Some people are just really weird about their finances, you know. And uh, it, it, there's a certain degree in, in human nature, you know. We just like to hang on to things that, that we get our hands on. I will never forget, I'm going to tell a couple of personal stories, one about myself and, and one about a good friend of mine. Uh, I'll never forget, though, the time that the Lord finally broke through to me. And, and we're just setting this up for uh, what we're about to launch into the time the Lord really helped me understand, and he used a, a word picture uh, of sorts to help me understand what my attitude should be like. Uh, how many of you have ever gone skiing, water skiing, behind a boat? Okay, quite a few of you. Okay, so, so uh, everybody show me. I just want you to go ahead and do it. Do it. Show me the position of your hands when you're skiing behind that boat. Go ahead and stick them out there. Do it. Do it. I dare you to do it. Some of you have never skied, have you? You get like this. You get a good grip, Right? Is that, is that, am I doing it pretty close to right? Flex your knees a little bit and get, you know, a double-handed grip, unless you're one of those real athletic, you know, uh, uh, artsy-type people and you can do it with one hand and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, some people can do that. I couldn't do that. But, uh, you know, well, I saw a picture of myself, and that's the way I was. It, it was like I was holding on to that ski rope. I had both hands were just clamped down. And then, then the Lord said, I don't like that. That's not the way you're supposed to be. That's not the way I want you to be. And then he showed me, how, how would you put your hands if you were trying to feed a little timid bird? Somebody show me. Right. 
You would put that hand out there, extended palm up, fingers unclasped. The Lord said, that's the way I want you to be. That's the way I want you to be about everything, particularly your finances. And I said, oh, really? And, and that's just one of the lessons that he taught me uh, about how to have the attitude to have about my finances. Uh, I told a little bit of this story last week, and I'm going to rush through just a little example here, and then I'm going to tell you about a, a brother of mine, not a physical brother, but a brother in the Lord, that God did some amazing things. And it sets us up for where we're going tonight. The idea that God wants to take care of us. That's where we're going tonight. And it's going to bless you. But I remember as, uh, as I grew up, and I told you all some of this last week, uh, by the time I was 20 years old, owned uh, a good portion of a, of a company, uh, was making in the high five figures or early six figures, and I'm 20 years old. You know, and that's, that's a lot of money for a kid. That's a lot of money for anybody, really, but that's a lot of money for a kid. Of 20, wasn't even married yet. And, uh, uh, you know, I was very self-reliant. I was raised to be the provider. Guys, come on, you muscle up, guys. You know what I'm talking about. We're, we're, to, we're to provide for our families, right? That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's... And there's nothing wrong with us accepting the responsibility as a husband and a father that we need to step up. We don't need to be lazy, laying around the house, munching on popcorn and watching soap operas. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Uh, we need to step up and do our part as men. That's, that's totally correct. But it, it, it can become an attitude of, I am the source. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, that's kind of the way I was. And, uh, I, boy, I would just really, you know, I had things under control and until I didn't. Uh, Beverly and I had been married about a year, and we began to, we knew the Lord was moving us in a different direction in ministry. And so we sold the house, the, the nearly new house that, that we had. I built it just before we got married. Uh, we sold that and the property that it was on. We went off to another town and, and uh, entered into a assistant ministry type position with a, a, another pastor, an older pastor. And our finances began to change drastically. Uh, the days of me stopping and writing a check for a car like I had done in the past were gone. And uh, then, you know, we, we decided to start a family. And how many knows that having kids can really put a strain on your budget? And they don't cost much. They're just really, really expensive. I heard somebody told me that one time, and it's true. <laughs> but our finances were, you know, beginning to really take a hit, you know, so to speak. And, and the end of the story is, is that I, I wasn't yet understanding who the source was. I viewed myself as the source. I'm the provider. I'm the man of the house. I'm the guy that's supposed to go and, and bring home the bacon. The only thing is, is that I couldn't even catch the pig, much less bring home the bacon. I mean, I was struggling. And uh, let me tell you what happened. It, it, it led me into the, the deepest frustration and feelings of failure. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hands and say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But I got a feeling there are people sitting here listening tonight that know exactly what I'm saying. Even depression. Times, and then after the kids were born, they were still pretty small. I realized I needed some life insurance. And so I thought that was a good thing to do, and I still think it was a good thing to do. I purchased a life insurance policy, and then lo and behold, the devil comes and slaps me on the side of the head, and he says, boy, you're worth more dead than you are alive. And I'm thinking, you're right. I mean, I was so much a control freak, feeling that I'm the one that's supposed to be taking care of my family and taking care of all this, because that's kind of the way we're raised, you know, more or less. And I just hadn't got it. But little by little by little, the Lord has brought me to a place where uh, I, I said a little bit about this last week in the first session. 
there came a time not so long ago as the economy just uh, just a few in the last few years has really tumbled and taken some hits and we take we took an enormous financial hit due to that and then both of us lost our income within a short distance of a period of time there and uh, I remember God had helped me to that point up to that point he planted things in me through different ministries and and I remember kneeling before the Lord and saying God I don't care Somebody said to me right after I, I lost the corporate position that I was with that brought me to, when, when we were brought to this town, actually. And uh, somebody said to me, well, we need to pray that, that you'll find a job. And I, I said, wait a minute. Before I need to find a job, I need to find out what God wants in my life. And boy, it hadn't been very much long, long before that that I would never have made a statement like that. I would be running around with my hair on fire, uh, filing uh, resumes with everything from the McDonald's to the governor's office. I mean, you know, I would have been covering all the bases. But it's got to be something for me out there. I got to find it. I got to find it. I got to. I got to get a paycheck. You know, rah, 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 rah. I've just been going crazy. I knelt down and I said, "God, it doesn't matter. The house, the cars, everything we have. If if it's gone tomorrow, we're yours. You can handle us." You can take care of us. If you can't do it, then it's sure not worth my time to be worrying about it because I'm not going to be able to handle it for sure if you can't. Now, some of you may look at me a little bit strange and think I'm getting a little too sassy with God, but I don't think God minds us being very honest with him, okay? I've looked at God a few times when finances, since that time when they've been a little bit tighter, and I said, God, you know, I told you about the guy I heard last week. He holds up his bills and says, God, you got mail. <laughs> I do that. I think that's great. And I've been known to, to tell God, you know, Lord, uh, you see the situation going on here, and if you can't handle it, people are going to think you can't handle you know, You know, I mean, you know, it's your reputation on the line, God. I, I, don't, I don't care. It's up to you. And I'm not being sassy with God. I'm just letting him know, Dad. You got it. If you don't got it, then I'm in trouble anyway. There's nothing I can do about it. And some people say, I'll be realistic. Listen, honey, I think that's about as realistic as I can possibly get. Let me tell you about another guy, and then we're going we're gonna to launch into tonight's core of what we're going to talk about. A guy goes to this church right here. I'm not going to call his name just out of respect, but I did ask his permission to share this, and he told me that it would be just fine if I did. Uh, back in, I think it was 2009, as we came out of 2008 and then into 2009, and the, the, the stock markets were really beginning to have some, uh, some problems and people were getting real shaky. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He had some of his uh, uh, finances invested in the stock market and had them tied up, I think, in some 401ks and things like that. So that meant they were, they were being invested in the stock market. And uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and he said, pull that money out and switch it over to insured deposits, like certificates of deposits, you know, CDs, not those little shiny things that you play in your car, certificates of deposit. They're insured deposits. They don't make as much interest as the stock market did back then, but they're insured. You can't lose them. And he talked to some people, and they said, man, you're crazy. You're crazy. The stock market's paying this much, and you put it in a CD, and it's going to pay this much. You're crazy. Plus, when you take it out of that 401k, according to the IRS, you have to pay a penalty in taxes for early withdrawal. He said, but I know the Lord was telling me to do it, so I'm going to be obedient. He did. He moved that money all out of those uh, market-based, stock market-based investment areas, put them in insured investments with banks like CDs. Within a very short time, just a few short months, 
the market had gone plop. And the people that had told him he was crazy lost everything. Most of them lost everything. You see, the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and said, let me take care of you. You don't understand, but listen to me, son. I'm taking care of you. And somebody would say, well, why didn't he tell me that? Well, he probably was. You just might not have been listening. I'm sorry to put it that bluntly, but, you know, a lot of times with our finances, we feel like we know more than God does. But let me tell you, I, I want to lead you into liberty and freedom and, and joy tonight. That's what I want to do. And I hope you'll, you'll get there with us. So what I've called this session tonight is, who's your daddy? <laughs> who's your daddy? I, I can tell you who my daddy is. My daddy owns it all. I, I don't have to worry about him cutting my allowance off. As long as I'm serving him and I'm doing my best to please him and, and just letting him take the reins. Uh, I, I told somebody one time, they had one of those bumper things, you know, things that says, God is my co-pilot. And I said, well, you're sitting in the wrong seat. If he's the co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. He needs to be driving. I, I don't want him just helping me out if I get in a jam. I just want him to fly the plane. I'm, I'm happy to just take the ride. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So tonight we're, we're really looking at source and I want you to get this, source versus resource. Source versus resource. So before we get into that, though, I want you to do what you did last week. I want you to get your Bible out, take your Bible out. If you got your Bible, I don't care if it's your phone or your tablet or if you got it printed. I don't care what version it is. I want you to hold it up. Hold it up real high, and I want you to say this with me, okay? This is my Bible. It is God's Word. It is truth. I believe it and I receive it. Amen. Father God, thank you so much tonight for every person that's here. I ask you, Holy Spirit, now to anoint the giving and the receiving. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to use quite a few scripture references tonight. I encourage you to jot these down. Like I said last session, I would hope that you will take these and not just gobble up what I'm saying, just use it as a starting point and get into the word of God and let God enlighten you. Let the Holy Spirit open the word up. It's amazing how the word of God is. It's alive. It's truth. It's powerful. When you get into it, when you begin to open up the word of God and you say, well, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. Just keep reading it because the more you get into it, the more the Holy Spirit will say, okay, stop right here and look at this. I want to show you something. It's like walking down a beautiful pathway that's lined with gold nuggets on each side. And every time you walk down, a few more leaves have blown away or the sand has shifted and you find more gold nuggets. That's just a little word picture. So I'm going to use a lot of scriptures tonight. And some of them are, are longer passages than last session. But I want to begin with one in Deuteronomy chapter 31. This was a word given to the children of Israel. They're about to, they're about to you know, face the, the test. They're about to get into the things that, uh, that are really going to try their faith. And, and I'm reading the edition or the version I'm reading this verse from is from the World English Bible. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid or be scared of them. For Yahweh, your God, he it is who goes with you. And listen to this last part. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He will not. He cannot. 
They just say that. He cannot. It would violate his own character. When I begin to just say, God, I want you to be my financial manager. I want you to be in charge. When I begin to do that, God began to, he began to, it was almost like he said, okay, I'm glad you finally did this. Watch this. I can, I can, I'm going to tell you one story. This is true. This actually happened. I still don't have an answer for it. But to show you how much God wants to take care of us when we allow him to be in charge, especially of our finances. We were ministering in a church in the mountains of North Arkansas. It came time for us to leave that assignment and, and go to another state and, and work with a church there, which was the last stop we had before I became a military chaplain. And so we we're preparing everything. Of course, we had kids in the house and you know, uh, you always watch your money when you got kids in the house. And uh, uh, we, we got ready to go. And I left. We moved to the new town, established my bank account and everything. But I left the account in North Arkansas open for a little while. I mean, that's reasonable. I, I didn't want any check that I'd forgotten to write down or something, you know, or any late last-minute bill that came in. I didn't want it to, to not be paid. So I, I left. I, we drew out most of that account and left maybe $50 in there. <clears throat> excuse me, left just a little bit in there, just in case, just in case. We said, we'll leave it for a couple, three months at the most, and then we'll draw that out, close the account out. So uh, we let a little time go by, and then I called up to the bank, and I had identified myself, and I said, I want to check the balance in that account, and we're getting ready to close it now that it's been long enough for everything to come through and clear. And they assured me that there'd been no activity on it since we had moved away and, and we were good to go. And, the, and the, the lady called the account up and she read off a number. And I said, whoa, that's not right. She said, well, I'm looking at it on the screen. She said, it's, it's, that, that balance has been sitting there since you left. I said, what? And it was a substantial sum of money. Now, I, I, I'm not the best mathematician in the world. But I knew that I'd left less than $100 in that account. To this day, I cannot tell you how that changed. I do not know. We left it a little bit longer thinking, well, somebody's made a mistake. And they're going to find it and they're going to want it back. You know? And we called up there again a month or two later. And they said, no, that, that, that's the correct balance. Would you like for us to go ahead and close that out and, and send that to your bank in, in Mississippi? I said, yes, ma'am. And I, honestly, it was, I was so blessed, I didn't know whether to cry, laugh, or what. And that's not the only time. God has worked miraculously. I mean, it, it just blows my mind, some of the things he's done. So, like I did last time, I'm going to use a series of questions as stepping stones that we'll go through with tonight. And so here's the first one. These are rhetorical questions. Uh, since we're recording, I ask that you not try to answer it out loud. At the end, we'll maybe get some comments uh, if there's time. But here's the first question that, that we'll stand on to, to take the first step tonight. The, uh, regarding the economy and how it affects all of us, here's the question. What's going to happen next? What in the world is going to happen next? I mean, you know, that's a big question. That's a valid question. There's a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are really, really, really not sleeping well at night because they're not sure what's going to happen. I mean, you know, maybe some of you in this room, I know I've been there. I, I know what it's like to, to sweat and worry and just fret and just, you know, and not, not know what's going to happen next. Uh, is the economy ever going to, is it ever going to improve enough that we can kind of relax a little, you know? Is it? Well, uh, to be honest with you, personally, this is just my personal opinion, personally, I doubt it. I'm sorry, but I really don't 
expect it to change a lot. Oh, it's going to go up and down, up and down, but is it ever going to really get the golden days again like it used to be? I really doubt that. Now, listen, please understand. I'm not trying to cry wolf. I'm not trying to predict the end of the world, you know, like some of those crackpots do and stuff like that. I'm just looking at the evidence. Now, we're uh, two of our three kids and our in-law, our son-in-law, are all police officers. And my dad was involved with law enforcement. My wife's dad was involved with law enforcement. So it's a whole lot about evidence, okay? You're always looking at the evidence. I'm just looking at the evidence. And I'm telling you, I don't think it's really going to change for the better. First uh, Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from the New Living Translation. I want to read a little passage here. Now, this specific passage is talking about the day of the Lord's return. And I know that, uh, you know, if you think about the financial situation of the world and of our country, uh, I believe that it is, it is a vital component of setting things up for the day of the Lord's return. I, I totally believe that. I think the, the conditions, of, the, the things that are going on in the world are leading us toward that moment. That the day of the Lord's return. And so that's why I'm using this passage in relation to this teaching on finances. First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, I'm going to start with verse 1 from the New Living. Now concerning how and when all these things will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. That's what happened to a lot of people's 401k. A thief in the night <laughs> came and got it. Now, I highlighted this next sentence. Pay close attention to this. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But now get this next part. This is important. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and to night. Did you get that? We don't belong to darkness and to night. So be on your guard and not asleep like the others. Stay alert. Stay alert and be clear-headed. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 from the New Living. Let me read another little, uh, a shorter passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, also from the New Living. Uh, Paul's talking here to the young pastor, Timothy. And uh, this verse, the first part of this verse is often misconstrued and misunderstood. And I'm going to deal with that after I read it. Teach those, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a moment. A lot of people misconstrue that verse and they equate having riches or wealth with somehow being ungodly. They, they seem to feel that that verse is saying something to the effect of if you have riches, then, you know, and you, you, you know. Well, it's not the wealth that's the problem. It's trusting in the wealth that's the problem. Read the verse correctly in its context. I challenge you to do that. It says not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Did you know that that dollar bill you have in your pocket is worth a whole lot less today than it was 10 years ago? I mean, just here's an example. If you take a nice big apple pie, most everybody likes apple pie, especially with ice cream on the side, and you slice it into eight pieces. Well, you got, or slice it into four pieces. Then you got four big pieces. 
Well, what if you got more than four people? So you slice it evenly again, you got eight pieces. But then you slice it all again, you got 16 pieces. You got the same amount of pie, but the pieces are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The, the financial reserve of our nation is pretty much fixed. It, it varies up and down a little bit, but the pie is the pie. Every time they crank up the printing press at the Mint and crank out a hand, another handful of dollar bills, all those dollar bills are worth less. Your money's not reliable. Okay, let's just face that. Our, our world's money is not that reliable. It goes on in that verse. It says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, some people take the first part of that verse and they try to preach a doctrine of poverty and, and poor and, and, and want and need and lack out of all that and say that's what pleases God. But if you read the whole passage, it makes it very clear. If we don't trust the money but we trust God, then he freely gives us everything we need to have a great time. It doesn't mean there won't be bumps on the road, but we don't have to sweat it because God's got it under control. And, and there's some other good advice in that. I believe, I'm going to skip on past, I believe that, that the, the events in the financial world right now, not just in the United States, but in the world at large, I believe they have prophetic implications. I really do. Uh, some of the things that are happening right now in the world of finance, the, the stress and struggle that's going on, maybe setting the stage for the future one-world system of finance and government that we know is going to take place. The Bible tells us that very plainly. If you dare read in Revelation and in Daniel and, and some of the other prophetic books, you're going to see that. It's, it's laid out very clearly. We know these things are going to take place. And ultimately, this, this system, this coalescing of, of the world's financial uh, mechanisms and, and government will ultimately lead to the revealing of the Antichrist. It's true. Read your Bible, especially the book in the back, the one right before the maps. <laughs> read that. If you can't understand it, read it anyway and say, Holy Spirit, please help me to see. It's a deeply symbolic book, but it's got a lot of things in there that we need to know about in the day that we live. The, the, the things that are going on in the finances of our world, which ultimately come down to affect us and our personal finances, these things have prophetic implications. I totally believe that. Uh, it's, it's marching down the road, so to speak. You know, you're not going to wake up one morning next week, I don't believe, and turn on the news and see a public service announcement. It says the Antichrist is here, and he says you've got three days to get to the courthouse to get this thing stamped on your forehead or they're going to kill you. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen through a series of events and problems and, and turmoil until someday, you know, there's going to be somebody rise up and say, I have the answer. I can solve all these problems. Now, I will tell you this. I firmly believe that scripturally we can have the confidence that God's people will be spared. I'm talking about the church that's on this world right now will be spared this horrible wrath of chaos that the world is eventually going to descend into. Uh, we, all, we also know that as the rapture, okay? You've all heard of the rapture. I believe that God's going to take his church out. The Bible tells us that Jesus will appear in the clouds. He will call his, his bride, the church, to him, and we will be in his presence. But just because we may be gone when things really get super bad doesn't mean we may not see the signs of the storm and even feel some of the wind and rain as the storm approaches it's kind of like a natural storm. We've had a lot of 
storm clouds come through in the last two or three days. And even if the, the, the bad rain didn't fall on your house, you probably felt some wind and saw the lightning and the thunder, heard the thunder and all that stuff. So I, I believe, you know, we need to know what it is that's going on. We need to know what's going on, what's taking place around us. So uh, it's not going to just happen overnight. You know, think long term, down the road a ways. The decline and the uncertainty in the financial world is going to, it'll fluctuate. I really believe it will fluctuate. There'll be times when the jobless rate goes down a little bit and the stock market will respond crazy. Have y'all noticed how crazy the stock market is these days? It's crazy. I mean, you know, some sheik in an oil country can get up with, with a stomach ache and the price of oil may jump up $30 a barrel just because he's got a runny nose or something. I mean, it's crazy. There's no logic to it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the price of gas goes way up, then it goes way down. You know, who, I mean, you can't make any sense out of it. I don't even think the experts know what's going on. I really think those guys are all sitting around in their offices drinking Kool-Aid and eating Fig Newtons. And they, I don't think they have a clue as to what's going on. Most of them don't. Or the ones that, that aren't drinking Kool-Aid maybe drinking something else. I don't know. But ultimately, I believe that the things we're seeing taking place right now is the wind and thunder and lightning of the approaching storm that is going to consume this planet. And the left-behind world, those that are still on this planet, after Christ has caught his his church away in the rapture, it's going to get so bad that they're going to start to cry out and say, somebody's got to do something. And, of course, that's when the Antichrist is going to stand up and say, look, I have a plan. I'll bring every government under one roof. All the finances will be under one control. I got a solution. Y'all just get in line. I got it. And and that's where this world is going. I'm not trying to be negative about all this. I'm just telling you that's what the Bible tells us is going to happen. Uh, You can read it and and make a lot of, of assumptions out of it, but it's in there. And I encourage you to study it for yourself. Get yourself some helpful study books, you know, or something like that that can help you understand it. So here's the second question. And here's where it really starts to get better. The second question that we're going to step on tonight, do these things that are coming, do they affect God's plan for us? No, absolutely not, at least not from God's perspective, not from God's point of view. Matthew 24, chapter 6, verse 24, I want to read this. This is awesome. You know this passage of Scripture. Matthew 6, 24 from the New Living. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one or love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's about as black and white as you can get. You can either try to control your finances in a crazy financial world, and it can smack you upside the head, or you can say, God, I serve you first, and I'll let you handle the the difficult part. That is why, he says in verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Verse 28, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow... He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith, he says. This is Jesus talking here in Matthew. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. 
These things, catch this, this is important. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows that you need what you need. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. Is that not an awesome passage of Scripture? This is, this is joy. This is freedom. This is liberty. This is awesome. Uh, my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, I, I quoted it last week. I'm going to do it again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I quote this out loud virtually every time I pick up my checkbook. If I go online to the bank uh, website to, to look at something or check something, as I'm, as I'm scrolling down that page, I'm quoting this out loud. I am speaking the word in faith over my finances every time I do this. My God, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I say that as a declaration of faith. Every, almost every day I do that. Psalm 37.4, I used this one last session as well. I'm going to use it again. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. This is so precious. If, if you're laying awake at night, worrying about your finances, I would like to invite you to write this verse down and begin to read it over and over and over because it's going to get a hold of your heart. God wants this for you. He desires this for you. The psalmist said, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, makest me dwell in safety. That's God's will for us. That's what he wants for us. God wants to be our source. Here's the difference between a source and a resource. I used to think I was the source. And I had to learn the hard way. God is the source. God is the source. Your job, that paycheck they put in automatically, a direct deposit, that's a resource that God has arranged for you for this time. But God will never run out. He is the source, all caps, the source. He will never run out. So if one resource dries up or is taken away, God will find another resource. He already has another resource that he will put in that place. But if I panic and go crazy and say, oh, what am I going to do? How can I solve this problem? I'm hindering God from doing what God wants so desperately to do, and that is he wants to be my source. He, in him we live and move and have our being. There is nothing about us that he can't handle. I heard Ron Cox say one time, if he lifted his finger off of us for one second, we would vanish. We would disappear. Our heart would stop. We'd stop breathing. We'd go brain dead and hit the ground in nothing but a pile of dust. We'd be all over. If God lifted his hand off us for a second, we wouldn't survive. We, we would have nothing. He wants to be our source. He is our source. Now, here's another verse. You don't hear this one talked about very much. Isaiah chapter 49 Verse 16 from the Amplified. You've got to write this reference down and just read it. This is so precious. Behold, this is a prophetic word that God is giving through the, the Isaiah. Behold, I have indelibly imprinted you on the palm of each of my hands. Did you hear that? Some translations say that God says, I have tattooed your picture on my palm. Every time God moves his hand, you're in front of him. Everything he does, you're right there. He, he's looking at you. He's looking at your name. And for years he looked at me and he thought, he's thinking, I wish that boy would just let me handle this. 
I want to handle this for him and he won't let me. Oh, I want him to let me. And, and he finally got the message to me. Let me go to the third question. So, the third stepping stone, this is the final question. What do we do right now? What are we supposed to do in, in light of all this stuff? The world's gone crazy in finances, but we now know that God wants to be our source. So what, what should we do? Well, should we become preppers? <laughs> How many of you have seen any of those shows on TV about those preppers? They're hoarding pork and beans in their cellar. I mean, you know, that's, you know if the world is blows up by nuclear bombs uh, or some drastic illness, uh, you're going to be happy sitting down in your cellar eating pork and beans for the next 10 years? <laughs> is that worth doing? I, you know, well, here's my answer. Should we be a prepper? Well, th- yes, but not in what you're not in the way you're thinking. The uh, the word says in first Peter chapter three, we should sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready or always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason concerning the hope that is in you. You see, yeah, you should be a prepper. You, you should you should be prepared now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a few cans of soup in the cupboard, okay? If the power goes out, you know, or a tree falls on the power line and, and something like that, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with having a few supplies. I mean, you know, in this part of the world, if it snows three flakes, everybody runs down and gets a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. I never really could figure that out. And they're standing there, that you said, do you drink milk? No, but I'm going to be okay because I bought my gallon of milk. I don't know what that means. You know, there's nothing wrong with having common sense uh, prepared, uh, being prepared in a common sense way. No, no, but these people that think they can hole up in a cave somewhere and 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 wait this out, they're, they're going to be sadly mistaken. Uh, seriously, God's going to take care of us if we'll let Him. He, we, he's got it. But uh, He says we should always give an answer. Be prepared to give an answer. Now, let me tell you something. I think this is the greatest evangelistic opportunity in the history of the church. That'd be a good place to say Amen. I think this is the greatest evangelistic opportunity in the history of the church. I really do. I really do. I believe that. As people look at us, the brother I was telling you about that survived the financial crisis because he obeyed God. People now, when, when, when he's talking, people listen. They say, this guy, you know, he's listening to God and God's steering him right. It's an opportunity to tell somebody about the love of God. And, and when, when, when people look at us and they see, you know, you turn on the news and all you hear is bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And then you hear about the royal baby and then it's back to the bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Right? And then they look at you and you're just walking around as calm as can be and you're not all frustrated and flustered and afraid and you're not sitting in the break room, you know, wringing your hands. You know, all that kind of stuff, you know. People say, how can you be that way? It's a perfect opportunity for you to say, Oh, well, you know, I don't know everything about the world of finances, but I do know my God has promised to take care of me. What? What did you say? And people begin to listen. Because when things get bad, people start, they start looking for answers. And you're the answer. When God has got you back, when he goes before you and he's got your back, you're the answer. People want to know about that. So get ready. Uh, here's another thought. Consider the whole thing of debt versus freedom. What should we do in a time like this? Uh, consider that debt versus freedom. Uh, re- consider the wisdom. And, and like I said last time, I'm not uh, knocking anybody who has a car payment or a mortgage payment or anything like that. But consider the wisdom of reducing and eliminating and avoiding debt. Beverly and I have entered into a covenant before the Lord that we're not going to add any more debt. You say, what are you going to do if the washing machine breaks? Wear dirty clothes, I guess, until God brings us a new washing machine. 
But I am not willing to be a slave to the lender. That's what the Bible says. I'm not willing to be a servant or in bondage to the lender anymore. I want freedom. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8 in the World English Bible, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. I don't want to be in bondage. I want freedom. Let me tell you a little story. We don't have a lot of time left, but I just got to tell you this story. Let me tell you, it is so much fun to live in freedom. Within a year, in less than a year, of both of us losing our incomes and us getting on our knees and placing everything we had on the altar and saying, God, you figure it out. It's up to you. We're going to go with you no matter what happens. And that was our stand, and we, we knelt on it, and we stayed on it. We didn't know what was going to happen. But in less than a year, our car we had one car payment. It was paid for. The credit cards were cut up and paid for and gone. I'm telling you, God began to move. When we put it on his shoulders and said, you take over, he began to move. It was miraculous. In fact, let me tease you for next session. I'm going to tell you some things next session. That, in, that it's just amazing some of the things that God did. I can't wait to share them to you. You don't want to miss it. Uh, God began to really do some things. But one of the things that's so fun about living in freedom it financially is that you get to do such neat things. And I'm not talking about taking, vac- I'm not talking about the vacations and everything. God blesses in all kinds of ways. But my biggest kick is getting to do something that where I know I'm reaching out like the hand of Jesus. Beverly and I left church one Sunday night. We went down here to the shopping mall, whichever direction that is, and went to the fast food place to get a bite to eat. And we came out of the, the restaurant and to get in the truck. Now, you heard me say something about being a law enforcement family, so I'm always got head up, eye scanning. You know, I can't help it. It's just a habit. And I observed a young man holding a duffel bag standing several feet out in front of my truck in the adjoining parking lot. And he was just standing there. And uh, so I immediately, you know, took note. And I walked Beverly around the her side of the truck, put her in, locked the door, closed the door. I came around the truck, and I'm scanning. He, he wasn't eyeballing me. Uh, he wasn't giving off any of those danger signals or anything like that. But I was just keeping an eye on him because I didn't know what was going on. Opened my truck door, started to climb in, and the Holy Spirit said, Stop and go talk to that young man. So I did. And I said, Hey, young man, what's up? He said, I'm just, uh, just uh, passing through. And he, he didn't say much else. I said, well, you hungry? No, there was a guy came just a little bit ago and, and bought me some supper. So that's good. I said, where are you staying? Uh, I'm going to stay down here under the overpass. I'm talking about right down here in Alabaster where 31 crosses I-65. He said, I'm going to stay under the overpass. I said, what? I mean, we're talking about October, and early November. It was getting cool. The lows are down in the 40s. And I said, Really? What's the story? He was from either Ohio or Indiana. He was in the construction industry. He lost his job. This young man, about you know mid to late twenties, and uh, he uh, he had a relative down in the Panhandle of Florida who told him said, if you can figure out how to get down here, I don't have the money for a bus ticket, but if you can figure out how to get down here, I think I can help you find a job with some place down there. He said, so I'm headed down there. And I said, and you've been how long have you been on the road? He said, I've been on the road about five days already. I said, and you've been sleeping under the overpasses? And he's coming from up north. It's a lot colder up there. He said, yes, sir. I said, uh, I looked at Beverly, and I looked back at him, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I said, come on, boy, get in a truck. You're not sleeping under the overpass tonight. He said, uh, really? 
I said, yeah, get in the truck. Barely hopped in the back seat, opened up the passenger door. He stood by the door, and I'll never forget this as long as I'm living. He stood there by the door, and he said, well, now, sir, I don't smell real good. I said, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Just get in the truck. Put him in the truck, drove up 31 to this little, uh, this little motel up here where a lot of construction workers stay. And I went into the counter, and I said, this young man needs a room for tonight, and I'm paying for it. The lady looked at me kind of funny. I said, yeah, just put him up. What you got? You got a vacancy, don't you? Yes, sir. I said, well, here. Here's my check card. Put it on that, but I'm paying for it. And uh, the, the boy just stood there looking at me like, I can't believe this. I said, son, you ain't sleeping under the overpass tonight. I'm just going to tell you that. You can sleep in the bed, and you got towels and a shower in there. And uh, you're at least not going to be sleeping on the road tonight. And, and I thought he was going to cry. And then I gave him some cash that I had in my pocket. And I said, there's a restaurant, you know, fast food across the street. And you can get some more food tonight or tomorrow, whenever you want to. And, and, I, and God bless you, and I wish you well on your journey. Now, in the past, my heart always wanted to do those things, but I never could do it because every paycheck I got was gobbled up by all my debts. But when God started setting us free from debt, I'm going to tell you, it's the funniest thing. I kidding. It's more funner than you anything you can think of. I'm telling you, it's awesome. And that's just one example. I mean, you know, to be able to walk up to a lady that I know is in need and say, so you needing tires? Well, let's get some. I, I've always wanted to be generous, but I couldn't do it. But now I can. <laughs> it's so much fun. I can't explain how much fun it is. Oh, wow. So I, I've changed my whole point of view. God is doing something in me. And I can see the time slipping away. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Let me just say this. We need to change our mindset. And when we look at our finances, we need to stop looking at them in a negative light. Stop. You know what? God doesn't respond to your need. He responds to your faith. Did you know that? You might want to write that down. God doesn't respond to your need. He responds to your faith. Plenty of examples of that in the Bible. Uh, there's all sorts of, uh, of examples in the Bible. Moses at the Red Sea. You know, uh, the sea parted when he responded in faith and took a step. You know, uh, Joshua at the walls of Jericho. Jesus uh, putting mud in the guy's eye and telling him to walk across town. That seemed kind of silly. But the guy got healed because he responded in faith. Okay? Well, st- we need to learn to practice faith in our finances. You say, well, that's, let's just be realistic. You know, that's kind of out there, isn't it? I don't care how far out there it is. If it's got God at hand on it, I'm all for it. Okay? I encourage you to practice faith in your finances. Stop speaking the negative. Would you do that? Stop speaking the negative or feeding on the fear of the world. Turn the cotton-picking news channel off. I mean, it's going to depress you till you can't stand up straight. Stop making your decisions in your finances based on, on what the world's experts say because, trust me, they don't know a whole lot either. Start practicing faith. Find, your, find yourself a, 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 a cornerstone scripture that the Holy Spirit just explodes in your heart. And begin to speak that over your finances. Begin to speak that over your checkbook. And watch and see. Listen to the, to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Him. Let Him, let him take you to a different place. Uh, faith comes by hearing. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So, uh, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So get in the Word of God. Find something that God has arrested you with. His Spirit has brought it out of that page and it's right there in your face. And just start to meditate on it. If it's 
five words and you meditate on it for 30 days, that's okay. Let it get on the inside of you. Just like I told you my favorite, Philippians 4.19, and I, I, there's not a day goes by that uh, I don't guess there is. There might be once or twice every now and then that I don't quote that at least once out loud. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So I'm going to say it out loud so I can hear it with my ears. And what I'm hearing with my ears is what the word says. And that's what God says. So I'm saying the same thing that God says about my finances. I don't have to worry. My daddy's got it under control. Who's my daddy? He's got this thing. And here's something you need to write down as we wrap this up. Are you ready? You need to get the word in your heart so the Holy Spirit has got something to work with. Get the word of God in your heart so the Holy Spirit has got something to work with. And then change your vocabulary. I told Beverly a long time ago, months and months and months ago, I don't ever want to hear the words, I can't afford this in our house again, ever. Now, does that mean that I just willy-nilly go and spend money and don't care? No. There are times when I say, we're not doing this right now. I don't think we should do this right now. That's perfectly wise to do that. The Bible tells us to use wisdom and seek his wisdom. But, man, I used to do crazy things. Man, I, I, I didn't have any wisdom about my finances. I used to trade trucks about every three weeks. I mean, I like trucks, you know, and I'd just get crazy. And uh, sometimes I'd make it two months, but, you know... You know, the Lord has helped me. He is, he's helped me to have wisdom. So I don't do crazy things, but I will not confess those words. I can't afford this. First of all, the wrong word is at the front of the sentence. I. It's not about I. It's not about me. My daddy can afford anything. And if it's time for me to have it, he'll see that I have it. If I am pleasing, if I'm not being in rebellion, living in unrepented sin, and not speaking doubt and fear over my life and over my finances, Daddy's going to make sure it happens. In the right time, Daddy will take care of it. Listen to this verse, and we'll wrap it up with this. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Children of Israel are about to launch into that campaign, taking the promised land. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor be scared of them. Who's them? That's all those experts that tell you what to do with your finances and anybody else that tells you how bad it is. Don't be scared of them for Yahweh your God. He it is who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. I read that early in the session tonight and I read it again because I wanted to double emphasize it. Be of strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or be scared of them. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do you receive that tonight? Do you receive that? I hope that you do. Father God, thank you again for the opportunity to share your word with these wonderful, precious people. I ask you tonight to plant it in our hearts. Let faith arise in our hearts, God. Help us to learn how much you love us. You, you have us bitten on the palms of your hands. And you're constantly considering us and our welfare and our well-being. God, I ask you now to help us to, to receive this word tonight and make it real. Holy Spirit, make it real in our hearts. And I thank you for it.